0: Welcome to episode 50 of Think Deeper for 2022. Pretty crazy, uh, 50 episodes in. And uh, to thank you guys for listening to f- us 49 times and now a 50th, we wanted to open the doors for a question and answer session. And boy, did you guys come through. Um, there's there's some tough ones. And we'll be getting to that in just a minute. Uh, last week, we talked about a big announcement was coming. The big announcement has dropped, but for those that didn't see it on Facebook or on our website, um... Uh, Joe, Will, this is your thing. Go ahead and tell them about it. Yeah, so we are super pumped. Uh, this is something Will and I have had in
1: the works for a few months at least. Um, and it's the Jim Podcast, the, the Godly Young Men Podcast. We titled it, initially, Will had titled it, or we titled it Jim, and then Jack's like, hey, nobody's going to find that, so you better call it the Godly Young Men Podcast. Um, it's its official name, but we are pumped about it. It is a podcast specifically for young men. Um and, and just designed to teach them a lot of things that young men don't get, things we didn't get necessarily, and a lot of things that we did get uh, that we think would be helpful. And so we're really excited about it. Um, Will has worked his, his tail off on getting the video ready. It is going to be a video podcast. We're really excited about that part as well. So, I mean, it's, it's man, I'm telling you, we got 30, 40 already lined up. We almost have a year's worth of content ready to roll. Uh, not recorded yet, but but ideas um, our mind is constantly going, and anytime we see something in the culture, we throw it down. So we're real excited. Will, anything you'd add to that? Yeah,
2: I would just say this is one of those things that we are really hoping we, – we specified age 15 to 25, young men kind of in that um, age bracket. They're all dealing with a lot of the same stuff, and the, the topics that we're going to be addressing are tailored specifically to that age group. And so I want to encourage all of our deep thinkers, our, our listeners to this podcast – We would imagine we don't have a ton of 15 to 25 year old young men listening to this podcast. Hopefully we do. But um, if you are not in that age bracket and you're listening to this, we would encourage you if you have a a young man uh, that you know of in your life, goes to your congregation, of course, maybe it's one of your one of your kids. Maybe you've got, again, a distant relative, somebody that you know that you think would benefit from a podcast like this that, that goes over, look. You know, how does what does God expect of us as men? What does God expect of you as a 16 year old young man, as a 21 year old young man? If you've got somebody that you know that needs answers to those questions or is looking for answers to those questions or just really, again, wants to go in a different direction than the way the world is going, point them to this podcast. Again, maybe they're not listening to this one, but so so point them to the Godly Young Men podcast, either on YouTube or any podcast platform. We're super excited about it. Episode one is, is going to be coming out January third on every, every Tuesday on YouTube and the podcast platform. So again, let let people know about
1: it. We're really excited about it. And we're going to be doing more on Instagram and YouTube Shorts as well. We realize that's where where young kids are today. We will not be doing TikTok. Uh, go back and see our Think Fast on TikTok. Uh, I'm I'm we're deaf on it. Not going to happen. Uh, I realize that's where most kids are these days. But we're hoping through Instagram and YouTube Shorts to be. Uh, getting them, but easily shareable is really the point. And so if you can share this, as you talked about, Will, with somebody in your life, a young kid who might need it, uh, great. And we're hoping it's going to be a great uh, resource for fathers and sons to be able to talk about some of these things. So yeah, we're pumped. We're, we're real excited to introduce that. Go check out our promo. If you haven't, it's, it's a short clip or a short
0: uh, two-minute promo, I think, and just to get you ready for that January 3rd launch date. Man, that's cool. I think that instantly moves up the list. Maybe the most important thing we're doing here at Focus Press uh, is getting young men, strengthening the young men in the church uh, to really lead forward in the uh, next generation. So very good, very good stuff. Um, Let's get into questions and answers. You guys ready? Uh, we we divided out the questions no. to kind of like have leads on different things. This might so be our most daunting kinda... episode yet. <laughs> yeah, truly, I mean, uh, truly. As I said before, uh, the deep thinkers really uh, lived up to the name here. Um, all right, I, I want to put out a disclaimer. We got some questions about divorce and remarriage. We're not going to touch on that very directly because I think there's an important element of local eldership walking couples through it. Um, you know, One of the questions was kind of about where there's infidelity in a marriage and, you know, the, the restoration process, but then later on, I mean, like, what happens? And you can give a blanket statement of, you know, and as the Bible has some of the kind of general principles, the infidelity, and you, you start getting into the details, but every case is different. And so I don't want to give a broad statement and have somebody run with it and say, well, this is what it is, this is what these guys said. Well, your elders, your preacher, those that know you best are, are the best to walk a couple through, no, that doesn't mean that. And I'm, I'll get—we're going to kind of touch on one of these questions without getting directly into all of the meat of the divorce and remarriage discussion. And that is, uh, if a spouse neglects their husband and wife, or husband or wife, whether it be emotionally, sexually, or in other ways, and it causes the husband or wife to seek fulfillment elsewhere, will the spouse be held accountable at judgment day for pushing their husband or wife away? And then we have another question about the 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, which is, is really our text on this of owning each other's bodies, not abstaining, you know, not uh, depriving one another, I guess I should say, except for a, a specific set-apart time. And so it, it's very much like the lust and modesty discussion, right? It's, it's not anybody's fault but your own. You are responsible for yourself. And so if somebody goes and commits adultery, they can't go, well, it's, it's their fault. On the other hand in the same sense of modesty you're responsible for yourself if one spouse is just like you know what i'm not feeling it we're gonna you know um have sex three times a year and you're just gonna have to deal with that you know i i just don't have a high sex drive and so we're gonna do it you know once every two three months and that's just not my problem it is your problem um and and we get this is one of those things that we're we're really bad at in this day and age is we see an extreme and go anything but that. Okay, but what does it mean? And so we talked about this on our marriage episodes, you know, the the guy, oh, I need it every day. Okay, this is not licensed to say anytime I want, drop everything you're doing, we can go have sex. It's not that. On the other hand, there is something to it. There is some level of owing to one another. And so I'm gonna read the verses because it goes into our next question as well, which which Will will lead us into. 1 Corinthians 7, 3, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So when the question is, is there any accountability or responsibility for that, you're not responsible for the other person's adultery. You're responsible for yourself, and that is wrong. You will be held to account for that. You guys have anything to add, or you want to roll the next one into it, Will, or what do we want to go?
1: Well, it's so it's so easy. I'll just say real fast, and I'll, I'll kick to you, Will, but it's so easy to blame the one party for the egregious error. There's two sides to every story, and I see this in therapy all the time. There's two sides to every story. Somebody comes in. And they're just, you know, I can't believe he did this. And the more that you dig into it, it's like, I can. Um, that That is not blaming that person. It's not shaming that person. You have a responsibility, no matter how poorly your spouse treats you, to stay right with God and not commit adultery and break the covenant bond. That is purely a you problem if you are the one that is stepping out on the marriage because you're not making it right. I think there's a specific um, part of this for guys. You will stand in the judgment for your wife. You are, we're going to get into head coverings in a bit. You are over your wife by the chain of command and by the hierarchy and authority given to you by God. You're going to stand in the judgment. So if if your wife is doing these things, you need to, you know, and, and withholding and, and, you know, all the things that were asked in that question, you have a responsibility to make it right. And if they are withholding and if they're not doing it, I think Matthew 18 comes in. What do we do then? I can't get her. Nobody wants to take their spouse to the eldership. But I'm sorry that's that's if they're a brother or sister in Christ and they are refusing to so listen that's and they're the doing pattern the same Jesus exact lays thing, out right that's the pattern Jesus lays out so yeah. I, Jack I, I want to add
0: this one thing um with the then this is again why we're not getting into the whole divorce and remarriage thing because you know you use the infidelity exception and this is a really common thing that happens unfortunately is a couple is just basically all but divorced living in the same house can't stand each other not sleeping together any of that stuff for years and one of them finally gets fed up and goes and sleeps with the other one. And the second one goes, all right, I got to pass. I'm going to go marry somebody See? else. Yep. That's all right. Free. Yep. Nope. That is not the point of this at all. That's not the spirit of it. And that's why I said that's something really to work through with your elders, with with those, you know, who are a lot closer to the situation. So that's kind of my broad answer. And, and again, why we're not getting all the details of that. Will?
2: Well, Jack, I, I appreciate that you brought up the modesty point that everybody always, you know, tries to blame, you know, shift the blame to somebody else. You know, if 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 you lust after a woman wearing a two-piece bathing suit, you 100% will be held accountable for that. I also believe if you're the woman who is wearing the two-piece bathing suit, you will also be held accountable for that. And so, stumbling block, right? Exactly. And so, as y'all said, the accountability does go both ways there. Um, but let's go to the the kind of the next question, next angle of this question. Um, the question I'm going to read it in regards to 1 Corinthians three through 5. Does a spouse have the right or even the obligation? To forbid their spouse from activities involving bodily contact with the opposite sex, um, Jack, you already kind of gave the premise for First First Corinthians chapter seven, uh, verses three through five, that make it clear if you're married, your spouse has authority, uh, God-given authority over your you know uh, over the other spouse's body in a sexual manner, and so. But with that being said, when God Founded marriage, when God instituted marriage as a one-flesh union between one man and one woman for life, he's the one that kind of put the the, the uh, pr- prohibitions on extramarital bodily contact, right? Obviously, if you're married to somebody and you're engaging in things like that, in activities where that is something that's very prevalent, especially if it's in a sexualized manner. That is a problem, and and obviously this question doesn't give specifics on what activities we're talking about. But you you think about things like obviously dancing, um, in you know if you're doing that with somebody that's not your spouse, that's very you can very easily come into bodily contact with somebody of the opposite of sex. Others uh, playing sports, some sports obviously if you're playing tackle football or something like that. Um, so guys, I don't know what else you have to add. I'm. There's there's always been. A hesitation, and this is something that's kind of been taught to me. When a female who's not my wife goes in for a a, a hug, right? I've been taught and trained, go for the side hug, right? That's just something that that you should that you should do. And and I think that's kind of the spirit of this question is that you as a spouse should be going out of your way to avoid extramarital bodily contact is the way the question has it, with somebody who's not your spouse. You should be going out of your way to avoid that. And so if you are actively in, engaged in opportunities uh where that is something that is prevalent my answer to the question just straight up is that a spouse does have the right i'm not sure about necessarily an obligation but does have the right to say look i'm, I'm not really comfortable with you doing that you know if i'm playing if, if i was in a tackle football league a co-ed tackle football league and my wife came to me and said look i'm just not really comfortable with you tackling other females She would have the right to tell me that's not something that that she's comfortable with me doing. And again, in my opinion, that's something that I need to respect her enough and love her and say, you're right, I'm not going to do that anymore. And same thing thing goes the other way around, vice
1: versa. What do you guys have to add to that? Well, this is exactly, I think, the point of verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise also, right? Vice versa. We always jump, as Jack pointed to, the extreme. Well, you know, that doesn't mean... That the husband can tell his wife, you know, every last thing about whatever it may be. We always go to what it doesn't mean, but what does that mean? And why would a husband exercise that authority? Well to protect his wife from from potential issues, and to protect himself from jealousy, and to protect himself from lust or from uh, her from lust. And so it's a matter of spiritual protection in this moment. And if the husband looks at it and says, "This could potentially cause my wife to stumble, or me to stumble in jealousy." then no, we're not going to do that. And so if they have their own spiritual reasons as to why, uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what this verse is about. And vice versa. The wife has the same ability to say it to the husband. You know, you're getting really close with the... I would say going so far as staying in close contact with somebody at work. Sure. You know, yeah. he goes on business trips with a woman. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're not going there, right? I, I'm not comfortable with you going on a business trip with a woman. And if um, if you as a spouse... She has every right to
2: say that. And if And if you as a spouse push back on that to me that's revealing some kind of heart problem in and of itself if 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 you're going on on business trips with somebody that's not your spouse and your spouse comes to you and says look i'm not really comfortable with that and you push back on that and you say you know how dare you i have the right this and that there's probably some some problems going on there the point is in a marriage you as as husband and a wife you belong to each other and anything that, that has the potential to come in between you two you guys talk about and you guys figure that those things out and so again to answer the question directly joe i, I think you you'd summed it up pretty well you as a spouse do have the right to kind of say look i'm not really comfortable with that let's 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 not do that um jack how about you
0: yeah no i think you guys have have said it well um i mean there people will say well this kind of thing is just a gateway to being controlling like well you know if you get to that point we'll handle that if he's saying you can't leave the house or if she's saying i don't want you to ever talk to or make eye contact with another woman but there's a broad spectrum before you get to that and I mean, things like we've, we've talked about before, you need your the code to your spouse's phone. Now, if you feel like you need to get into their phone every day, there's a bigger problem that needs to be addressed. But if if the spouse is very evasive, or elusive with their phone, like, you no, no you're not allowed to look, that's not good. You have that right over each other to say, what's going on? Is there something I should be jealous about? Is there something I, like you're saying, well, something I should be concerned about? And I think one of the other things that will happen in this situation is the spouse will say... Well, I wouldn't have a problem if you did it. I wouldn't have a problem if you, you know, hung out with, uh, uh, with a, a woman. You know, the, the wife might say, well, I wouldn't have a problem if you went out to lunch with a woman. It doesn't matter if you would have a problem with it. If they have a problem with it, right. that's exactly what this is teaching is you submit right. it to them. And so, um, yeah, I, I think this is very much a how much do you care about the preservation of your marriage? Because that's one of those things that like really is, is frustrating about this is, well, I have the right to like, OK, but. You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want to assert that right, it's going to drive your spouse away. And you better live with those consequences, which are not good. Don't do that. And might I say as well,
1: this obviously, or, or, you know, seems to point to misogyny, quote unquote. A lot of people bring up the misogyny of it, or they bring up the, you know, how, how a guy can have control over his wife. Can we just point out the obvious that he also says a woman to the, to the man has authority over the husband. That is revelatory. To first century. Uh, that, is, that has never happened in the history of the world, that a woman has a right over her husband's body. I mean, we're talking coming from the Old Testament where polygamy was rampant, where Concubines, all sorts of things. all kinds of he's things. Com- yeah. Yes, and he's changing. He's flipping the script on it saying, hey wives, you have the same authority over your husband's body, not in a hierarchy jumping, clearly he's the head of the house, but in terms of sexuality and in terms of what might cause one to stumble, the wife has that as well. And so this goes. This cuts both ways, and it seems to mainly cut one way where the guy is saying it to the wife these days. I think it is very important, though, to point out that the woman has the same right to say, "I think that's a stumbling block that's going to push me into sin, or you into sin, or whatever else," and to help one another stay holy in our approach towards sexuality and th- and, and relationships with the opposite sex.
0: Right. So that takes us to the next one. Sorry, I might have been a little quiet on that last point. I turned my mic down. My apologies, everyone. Um this next section uh, we received I think eight questions on a related topic regarding women worship roles authority speaking teaching uh, probably this is done very a whole clearly on a, it. right <laughs> honestly and and it might it's gonna take up the bulk of this episode because it's important and because there's just a lot there um, it's very clearly something that and, and I mean these are people from all over some of them I know know each other and have been discussing it together others i don't think we're at all like this is very much a broad issue that a lot of people a lot of women especially are considering um and so where do we want to start on this want to start with the head coverings one Women remain silent. All right, next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we had uh, we had the idea. This oh, I was wondering funny, if but, you were going to tell wrong. this story. Oh, man. Oh, yes. Yeah, of saying, all right, we've asked our wives to join us uh, for this point and then not have them say anything. <laughs> Again, just we, we didn't want the accusations of saying it, it, it. Anyway. We're so just we'll just tell you the joke here. instead of actually doing it, right? That's right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. right, right. We're not mean enough to actually do it. No, okay. Um Let's do the head coverings one first, I guess. Joe, lead us in. Oh man, uh, why do you do this to me? So, hold on. Let me get my pop- let me that get, that the the get my popcorn ready,
1: Joe. Let's put that at yeah. the back because okay. I think it's you want to, culmination. It's going to I was going to say so it's going to
2: take a lot. Let me get yeah. to this. Will you do yours? Yeah. So, the question reads: Is it a quote unquote worship assembly when we label it as such, or when all the elements are present? Person goes on to say, "I think this is often confusing for members and especially visitors when women are participating. at sometimes uh, when they are gathered to learn and worship, and then not at others. And so, obviously, the spirit behind this question is about essentially when or when, when is it okay for women to speak um, in Bible classes and Can they worship? speak in Bible class? Yeah, right. That's and we, you know, that is kind of spelled out a little bit later on. Let me address that first. That first, the first part of that question about a worship assembly." Um, talking about when we label it, label it as such, or as when all the elements are present. A couple things here. Obviously, in the Church of Christ, we are very heavy into our counting number type things, right? We got our five steps of salvation. We got to have our five acts of worship, and so that is something that's drilled into us repeatedly. Guess what? You never find in Scripture anywhere the phrase "act of worship" and also the phrase "worship assembly." Um, I think too often we can get tied down to kind of checking our boxes and getting our little again cute number countdown. I would say cuz the person asked what do all the elements basically have to be present? If we get together and we sing, we take the Lord's Supper, we pray, but there's no sermon. Was it still worship? I would argue yes. If we get together and we sing and we we have a, we listen to a sermon, we take the Lord's Supper, but there's no contribution. Is it still worship? I would say yes. Again, there are people that would argue no. It's not worship unless all of the elements are present. And again, you really think about this question. I think deep down we all know what worship is. Worship first of all has to be an intentional act. It has to be something that's done deliberately. You don't accidentally worship. It's something that's done intentionally. And so, the question about women being able to speak. Look, if, if we're coming over and, and ha- if you're coming over to my house and we're having a singing together. No sermon going on, no, no, you know, no Lord's Supper being taken, obviously. But we're singing. Does a woman have the right to lead a song? I would say no, because that is we're actively involved in worship to God. If you're coming over to the house and we're having a Bible study, is that is that worship? I would say no. Once again, I, to me, there's some common sense that goes with this. A, a Bible class or a group Bible study is not worship. It, singing to God, taking the Lord's Supper. Praying to God, those are things that are worship. And the question about women, as always, and you specifically look at 1 Timothy, a woman cannot teach or have authority over a man. That—that's the, the question is about authority. And so I'll just reiterate the first part of that question. I think too often we can get tied down to the element side of things and say that all five elements have to be present. When, look, if you're singing to God and you've got a group of Christians gathered together and you, and you pray together— are you, is that not worship? I would say yes, it is, regardless of whether you know there's a sermon going on or you know the Lord's Supper
1: or whatever. So, what if you have singing at the beginning? We do this at Jackson Temple. You have singing at the beginning of a Bible class, a little Devo. That's where it gets. <laughs> that's where Here's, it gets I, I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because in my study of it, I personally I don't bind this on anyone. Maybe I should. I don't know. I'm going to jump right to the Bible class question. Of And I agree with you in terms of worship. At the same time, if we go to our, our key text here is, is 1 Timothy 2. And there's a few different ones, but 1 Timothy 2 is going to be a big one. And notice what he says in verse 8. He says, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. The men in every place to pray. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. And then he says, likewise, he goes right into the women. It's the I want or I urge that goes back to 2 verse 1. this I urge is still in effect, women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. So are they to only do that during worship times? No, they're to do that when when they're present. They're to do that together, to be modest. But rather by means of good works, is it proper for women making a claim to godliness? A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. When do we receive instruction? Now you could make a claim that it's the sermon. More likely, I feel like, receiving instruction is during a Bible class. That's when we are instructed the most. One is an exhortation. The, the sermon is more of an exhortation. Instruction is a Bible class. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. So, is a woman allowed to lead a Bible class? Well, no. Why not? It's not a worship service. Well, because she's not allowed to. Because she has to the teach. authority. So, if we're right. holding to some of, correct. If we're holding to some of the rules, she can't teach in a Bible class. So, what about remaining silent? Oh, but she can do that. So, a well, which is which, let, is which? Let me hold your feet to the fire here. You sure, come over sure. to a Bible study. At my house or if I go to your house, no
2: matter whose house it is. And my wife speaks up to ask a question. Uh, and I mean that, like, seriously, is that something you are comfortable enough saying, look, I don't think women should be speaking in this set. Like, are you going to carry that out, I guess, is what I'm fully asking. If we're having a personal Bible, or in, in Bible classes, maybe where you teach right now, is that something I mean, you said I know you said you don't bind it. However, this seems to be something that that needs to be bound, whatever decision we come down on.
0: All right, I'm going to jump in. <laughs> there's a reason
1: There's a reason my wife doesn't speak in class, but um, that's it's a tough one.
0: I'm going to jump in. Um, we talked First Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 14 is the other relevant right. text where he says, you know, keeping silent in the church. But the second verse behind that is, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. And for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. And it's funny, and I'm real big on making sure we use the word church to mean more than just, you know, Sunday morning worship. But that's... He's very clearly talking about when the church the gathers assembly, there. Sure. Speak yeah. Fellowship, church. Yeah, ecclesia. Right. And so what the hard part about this, and we kind of hinted at this, but I want to say it directly. We think in terms of show up at nine in the morning, have a Bible class for an hour, stop the Bible class, fellowship for 15 minutes. Then we have announcements and say an opening prayer, and then we're into where the rules apply. And then some of the rules apply back to Bible class. Like Joe's saying, the woman's not going to lead the Bible class, but not all. And she's not going to lead the prayer in the Bible class. She's not going to lead the song before the Bible class. But, you know, she can talk, she can make comments, she can input, she can ask questions. Well, when it says let them ask their husbands at home, that's not during the sermon. And so, like, what I'm saying is the kind of gathering that Paul was addressing was not nine o'clock Bible class, 10 10 o'clock worship, 11 o'clock go home. It was the church comes together for the day a paul a timothy a titus somebody like that gets up and is is teaching the word or different men have you know a lesson to bring or something like that and it's through this gathering he's saying don't talk now they would also have a meal together afterwards and so it's it wasn't saying don't talk or ask your cousins questions then i mean like where are the lines drawn because the other side of this and we got questions to this effect of okay i don't Uh, You know, a woman who believes, number one, I'm not going to speak in in the worship, but number two, I'm not going to speak in Bible class. But number three, some have taken it to the point of a woman should not ever speak about spiritual things in the presence of a man. And so like this this situation, a real situation that they cited of a non-believing friend was talking about something and she was just sitting there agonizing, wishing she could make a comment about how like to point him to the Bible, point him to Christ. But I'm a woman. I can't teach a man. I don't think that's the point here either, because right, again, right. First Corinthians fourteen is in church. Will brought up the home devo thing. It says let them ask their husbands at home. That is that kind of situation. Just because you're gathered with another couple, that doesn't mean you are the church. Okay, together. so you would differentiate. And so there. it seems a very. I would. I would. Now that I still don't believe, you know, because of the authority thing, I think First Corinthians fourteen is a lot more specific to the Sunday gathering. I think the authority thing of 1 Timothy 2, as Joe was getting at a bit, is a little bit broader. It does say the men pray in every uh, place, teach and have authority over man. And so, you know, if if we all came to your house and you're like, all right, Rachel's leading the Devo tonight, we'd be like, well, hang on a second. You know, but the idea that they can talk more, because the other thing, like, let's, you extend this out to its, its extreme. That means when Allison and I read the Bible to our kids at night, Allison would have to not say a word or or even if it's just me and her, you know, like talking about the Bible like, man, I thought that sermon was good today. Yeah. Like she can't <laughs> Not say anything. Her head well, only. right. Right. I mean, they're But that's are letting ask your husband at well, home. There's And a, we haven't brought in Aquila and Priscilla mask. to this. It says right. that Aquila and Priscilla or it actually says her first, Priscilla and Priscilla, Aquila, well. pulled Apollos aside and taught him the way more more perfectly. That really heavily implies she did some talking there and that that's okay. But there's also limits to where that can't just keep scaling up to where she can do anything. So let me let me dig a little deeper
2: say. here, and I know we don't want to just spend all of our time on this question. But the—
1: eh, Why the, not? No, I was going to say, it's worth— Where thinking.
2: you differentiate with the Home Devo thing and the Assembly, I, I suppose. I, I'm thinking more so, let's take a Wednesday night class. I guess my argument would be, I don't see a ton of difference there. Now, maybe you would say, well, the Wednesday night Assembly, the whole congregation's there. Okay, well, let's say the Home Devo, most of the congregation is there. Is the difference there simply well, one is a quote unquote assembly and one is a private gathering because to me again, you could have a Bible class in somebody's house. you know, you could have your Wednesday night gathering at Joe's house or at your house. And so if you're okay with with somebody with a woman speaking at the Home Devo, you know, but not at the Wednesday night Bible class, I guess what's the difference there in your mind, Jack specifically since I'm not sure if Joe differentiates from there, but Jack, if you differentiate between those two, What's the difference? Just that it's not all the church coming together as an assembly, or what's the difference there in your mind?
0: I think there's something to be said for a church-sanctioned thing of the elders or the the leadership of the church putting something on, like, hey, this is something we're doing together. Because, again, when you keep scaling that back, all right, me and Allison sitting across the table from each other talking Bible is not a church-sanctioned thing. She's allowed to do more there. But, again, if we had you guys over... We're also going to apply that rule that says Allison can't lead the Devo. Well, but even, I would, I would say this as well, even at our own table, she's not leading the Devo when it's just me and her and the kids. And so we we bring some of this down to a degree. I think the women must keep silent in the church thing, let them ask their husbands at home thing, is specific to the church-sanctioned gathering, because this whole section in First Corinthians 11, and this is why we put it with the head coverings thing, because there's a lot of overlap Uh, starting in in the middle of 11 is about the assembly, is about the Sunday gathering of the church and the use of gifts and the different things that they they do together and and who's supposed to talk and not talk and doing things in orderly manner. And part of that is women, you don't get to lead this. You don't get to talk. In fact, you don't even get to ask questions. Ask your husbands at home. And so, um, and you say, well, what if she doesn't have a husband? Well, she can ask the elders. She's kind of under their headship. Then move on to that. Um, And so... I, I do think there's something a bit more to the church sanction thing, the church gathering thing, um, but you know, it, so you're right. <laughs> this is a hard thing. Very uh, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll bring Joe back in in a home Devo. Joe and Alyssa, me and Allison, Rachel and Will. Um, you know, now you've got a, a decent amount of the church together there, right? Um, if we're sitting around the kitchen table talking about the Bible or or going over a podcast episode we did or whatever, they're going to chip in. They're going to say, oh, I thought this point was interesting or whatever else. Are you supposed to say, hey, ladies? Pipe down, n- right? N- <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, then if we move into the living room and we gather in a circle and we're doing something more official, uh, like this is where it gets really We start really singing hard. some songs. Exactly. And yeah, it seems well, like okay, the line well, is We, we say an opening prayer, prayer, essentially.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what does he say, though? A woman must quietly receive instruction. It seems to be in a time of teaching. This is why at a at a kicking it around, we're talking about you know we're talking about podcasts talking about whatever else. That's not a time of instruction. That's a time. Of I think discussion. it can be though. When we sit down, I think it can be. But when we sit down and it, it can it can be instructive. I would not say that's instruction. I would not say we're opening the scriptures and and Alyssa's going to open the scriptures. And go well. Let me tell you all about what you know
0: First Timothy two and and start teaching us. I well, don't see that the being... instructive thing is where people get that idea of I can't ever talk about the Bible in front of a man in case I accidentally teach him something.
1: Right. And I think that's wrong. I think it's it's a more specific when we're sitting down to take a leading role in in the discussion and there's the husband and the wife present. I believe it should be, but then you have the the Priscilla and Aquila of, of who gets but that's kind of a that's a little out there because we don't know who technically led. We don't know why she was there first. We don't know if Aquila was was deaf and she had to uh, interpret for her. We don't know. I mean, there's all sorts of things. And so using that as the one example is a little bit difficult. But I would say I err on the bet. This is why I don't bind it. Is I err on the better safe than sorry end of it, especially in the Bible class. The Home Devo... I think there's circles of authority as we've talked about inside the home. I think when a man is inside the home versus when an eldership and a, and a you know people of authority are in there, who is she usurping? And we have to ask, what's the purpose of this in general, for a woman not to exercise authority? Right. That's that's the so spirit behind. This it. is where we get into, and, 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 in and First that's Timothy. why you have a lot of women that speak in in Bible classes. They say, "I'm not trying to take a leading role. My problem is." How many comments until she takes a leading role? We've all sat in Bible classes where a woman from the the pew or from the chair absolutely led the yeah, discussion and didn't ever say anything other than a question. But all she does is lead the discussion where she's going to go. Well, where's the draw the line? Was it at the uh, fourth one? Was it at the fifth question? Was it at the seventh question? Was it at the second question? So that's the, once again, I err on the better safe than sorry. Am I going to bind that to your wife or to anybody else? No, I trust that their heart is in a place where they understand whether they are leading with authority or, or, you know, if if they're in submission or not. But I believe that to be better safe than sorry, the way to receive submission or to receive instruction quietly with submission is not to say anything. Well, and to be clear, in 1
2: Timothy chapter 2, to to anybody who might be on the complete other end of this saying, what on earth are these misogynistic, harsh guys talking about? When Paul lays it out in 1 Timothy, what does he appeal back to? Appeals all the way back to creation. He says it was Adam that was formed first, and then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This was not, and again, for all the people that in uh, congregations that argue, oh, well, women should take a even more expansive role than they have now because they appeal to the culture argument, right? Well, it was back then in that culture that was just the way women way it was. Paul's not appealing to culture here in 1 Timothy 2. He's appealing all the way back to creation. Um, so, yeah, I, I think overall here,
1: the disagreement is simply well, like where it is with a lot of things. Where do you draw the line? And, you know. Right. At what point are you exercising authority? At what point are you teaching someone else? Because that is the whole point of remaining quiet. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's a discussion worth studying for those that are listening, worth studying on your own of where you fall on it. And I do believe there is a conscience aspect here where if I were to come down and say absolutely not, somebody could easily make the claim. But I'm not exercising authority. Um which may be true. Maybe they're not exercising authority, but then we get to ask your husbands at home or ask somebody else in a different one. So I think both are kind of covered. And I guess the only issue but, I would
2: have with, sorry, Jack, the only issue I would have with Joe with your position of well, I'm not going to bind it. Are you going to bind it if the woman gets up and teaches the class? I would hope so. And you know what I mean. And so to me, you're going to bind it. And maybe it there. it's a cowardice bind on my it in part. The other other place, but it's, it's a maybe,
1: cowardice well, on my I, part to lead. Yeah,
0: I think there's black and white and gray you know and and like getting up and teaching that's very black and white sure. um right. you Clearly know wrong. asking Leading yeah uh, okay like and so that's what i wanted to get to is we got questions on some specifics so i'm going to run us through those specifics real quick before we get on to the next thing um you guys give a brief you heard me <laughs> I'll try. Uh, brief uh response is it permissible for a woman to read scripture in a small group bible study why do (laughs) you do this i mean you know my answer no
1: i i would say no personally but yeah i i mean that's not necessarily exercising authority see a small group bible study i disagree
2: i I would not have a problem with that again to me again jack with the way you differentiate there's there's a difference there if that's a small group a similar and again small group might be a sanctioned activity but we'll call it home devo there's a difference there uh, at least as far as as in my opinion
1: yeah uh boy that's hard you gotta you, when gotta you throw too, the head coverings on and we're gonna get i mean yeah i'm <laughs> oh, gonna give it to you in a second when you throw the head coverings on though and you consider don't, don't that start bat- that yet no 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 <laughs> we're, uh, not hey, hey. we're not there yet we're not there yet what we're not it's there gonna yet. be difficult so, for a woman
0: to preach or to to pray or to or to read scripture you're, you're when you got a veil long, covering hold on for it. okay uh go my on. answer on uh if if i were a woman i wouldn't just to be safe but that's not a real answer. You know, that, that's just a, I have, you know, best of my uh, conscience uh, ability of it, but boy, there's room here. I, I, this is one of those things. More and more of my answer to this is, you know, we've got the black and white, but for the gray, and, and I don't, you know, I, on the black and white, I don't say, oh, just do what you want, do what your church says. If your church says we're going to put a woman in the pulpit, no, nope, that's wrong. On the gray area, things that are really hard like this, what does your church say what are your what does your eldership say you're under their headship not mine not joe's not wills work on that first of all i think there's there's real wisdom in that and letting them set the bounds of your gray area which is going to be a significant factor in my next book so keep an eye out um all right so we did uh women reading a small group bible study what about announcements You know we say oh well we haven't started the worship yet and so we're taking announcements before the opening prayer and so a lot of times a woman will say well you know lunch at my house on tuesday whatever it is yes or no
2: i'll go first on this one to me and i think deep down we all know this that is an exercise of authority you're taking a role where you are out in front kind of again even if the worship's not started I think deep down we know what an authority structure is, and we know when somebody, whether they intend to or not, and I don't know if this is on your list, Jack, same thing with a woman passing the Lord's Supper. They're not speaking. They're not, you know... You know, saying anything. You mean
0: like one of the people one walking the, down the aisles. Yeah, I've it?
2: had people yeah. that have argued no problem with that because women aren't speaking. What is it? What is it still though? It's a leadership role, whether or not they're talking or not. It's an order.
1: Yeah, authority. Yeah, it's an
2: authority role. And it's an authority position, regardless of whether they're speaking. And so I, I, think that applies to announcements as well. So my answer would be no. Now,
1: are you talking about a woman getting up in front of the church and giving announcements, or a woman from the pews
0: saying, yeah. "Hey, remember," I'm just hollering what's... out, you know, like, "Hey, do we have anything else to say?" And a woman raises her hand and says, "Well, we're going to do this." Don't forget to say that.
1: Man, the think deepers are killing us here. Deep this thinkers, Joe. Brutal. Joke. I think it's whatever deep. What did I call them? The think, think deepers. deepers. <laughs> I think. Yeah, the whoops, wrong, wrong, other way around. Deep thinkers. Um, I get that wrong every time. I think. Anyway, um, uh, I mean. Yeah, clearly, if, if you're if wondering meeting, why we're, a we're
2: kind of stuttering, um, but here, Jack did not give us these particular questions. He's kind of putting no, us on the spot. No, he
0: didn't. Here. Uh, this is on the spot, man. Um, no, well, okay, this, the scripture one was on there. The announcements was something that okay, came to me. Okay, uh, fair somebody enough. Somebody brought up later. Okay. Um, <sighs> yes or no, Joe?
1: I, I, well, nah. <laughs> I mean, I, because it has nothing. I would personally, if they have a husband, I would personally rather have them tell their husbands and their husbands can can do it. Just from an authority, same thing with, we'll get into the head coverings. Again, I'm not trying to jump ahead, but with with the angels and and things like that, I mean, there's clearly a structure that's intended to take place in the assembly where the husband is supposed to be the leading this. And so I would say from that perspective, if she has a husband, let her ask her husband to give the announcement. Um, My mom does that. I appreciate it. Okay, but hold on. So if she doesn't have a husband, she can blurt it out? (laughs) No, I think you can wait until after or remember to talk to somebody outside of the assembly time when we're all sitting there. Okay, yeah. Personally. So,
0: yeah, which is so the no. same answer, right? Whether it's a husband or another man. Um, yeah, no, I, I I think it's not good because number one, it's it's... Somebody brought up in one of the questions. It's often confusing for members and especially visitors. Like, okay, yes. we're keeping silent, you know. And it, it's that thing I talked about. That's a very arbitrary structure. The clo- the opening prayer, the closing prayer, everything that's in between here counts. But before that, anything goes. Not really, okay. I mean, if you've got the whole church gathered, seated in the auditorium together, we're talking about the the things going on in the church, announcing things, prayer requests, whatever else. Yeah, no, I I would just no. And again, why can't you? pass a note to the elder that's going to make the announcements, you know, pass a note to your husband, or whatever else, just, just keep it clean. Just don't do that. Okay. Then, uh, there was one more and I, I brought this up, uh, the idea of a woman evangelizing a man, teaching a man, you know, like she shouldn't say anything uh, spiritual in front of a man because she might teach him, but especially like a non-Christian man. Should, can a, can a woman evangelize a lost man? I think the answer very clear. I think we would all agree is Yes. Yes. Because the 1 Timothy thing, the whole point of 1 Timothy is the house rules of God. How one is to conduct himself in the household of God, 1 Timothy 3.15. Uh, The oikonomos, the law, the house law of God. You've got the rules of your house. This is how you live in this house. And the rules in this house is the women don't teach the men. That doesn't mean that if you're out in the world and you're a woman who comes across a man who's lost and maybe seeking and you have a chance to invite him to church or, you know, tell him, hey, Jesus loves you and, you know, Repent, whatever the case may be, that's not wrong. Okay, I mean, like you think about, and and I I hate to bring this up because the egalitarians use this to establish women preachers, which is the biggest stretch in the world. It's it's such a stretch. I'm amazed they didn't tear a muscle. That the women were the first ones to tell the apostles that Jesus was risen. That doesn't mean it's okay for women to be preachers on a Sunday morning. Like that's that's not what that means at all. But it does clearly establish the precedent. They were able to share very valuable, spiritually minded information with them. Like, oh, I'm sorry, we can't tell you that Jesus is risen because, uh, no, I mean that's what we're you're that's what up. you're telling yeah. people evangelistically, right? Is Jesus is risen? Oh, so, let know? me ask so, this:
2: What define evangelize? Like, like narrow that down a bit, because I guess my question would be: If you're leading a Bible study with somebody, a guy and a girl are present, can the girl say anything? You know what I mean? Like, obviously, there's a difference in door knocking and you're having a conversation with somebody, hey, you know, consider that versus sitting down, studying the Bible together, this person is interested in becoming a Christian. You know what I mean? There, I feel like there's levels. So when you say your answer is yes, would that include all the way up to man and a woman sitting down studying with a potential convert and the woman maybe even leading it or doing most of the talking? What what's What's the line there for you personally?
0: I mean, I think where a man is present, he should be leading it. But, you know, let's say Let's say it's a you know girl in high school or college or whatever else and her classmate, you know, uh, she just kind of strikes up with a guy at the desk next to her and they start having spiritual conversations. The idea to say, no, 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 you're not allowed to do that. You know, now if, if you can bring, if you can get your preacher, you know, somebody else to come along and, and help on that as it gets closer or moves along, sure. You know, but, you know, the idea that, well, he's just going to have to go unevangelized because I'm not allowed to speak about spiritual things in front of a man. That's not the point of, of these verses, And I would say you're trying to, they're not in the, he's not in
1: the church. And so, you know, you're establishing, are you usurping the structure of the home for a woman to speak inside a Bible study with a non-Christian? Not to speak, to lead it, I would say the husband needs to lead it. Why? Because we're trying to show this man the headship of Christ and what is a mirror of the headship of Christ the husband and wife, right? That's a big part of marriage is for the husband to show that the headship. So when we, when the husband sits back and lets the wife do all of the talking, all of the evangelizing, the husband goes, yep, uh-huh, okay, sounds good. You know, and then the guy gets in the church and realizes uh, women are to be remain silent. Like, well, hold on, why did, so I think when a man is present, yeah, it should show, that should be an example to the non-Christian of what marriage is supposed to look like, what Christ and the church is supposed to look like, what God and Christ are supposed to look like, so we get into in first Corinthians 11 we're about to transition to so when a man is present yeah I think he should be leading the study am I okay with a woman speaking inside a study with a non-christian yeah I think so because it's not about exercising authority over that man or over her husband but the man should be
0: leading but that may be so, I, don't I don't know say... people rip that <laughs> apart to give a quick like personal example um my dad converted when Joe and I were pretty little uh and my mom, through that whole time she was a Christian before, uh, had been doing a study with an older Christian lady that had been teaching my mom all kinds of stuff. And so when dad was, you know, becoming a Christian or had just become a Christian, he, he asked that lady, hey, can can you teach me too? And she's like, no, that's not that's not how this works. Uh, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Now, unfortunately, there wasn't, like, a guy to step up and do for him what the woman had been doing for my mom. And we really need that kind of thing. But, like, you know... Uh, Hence she, the gym podcast. Yeah. There you go. Um, Sorry, a little shout out. But you know, there, they're I think it's very, it was it taught him a good lesson about the church of like we don't just throw these rules out the window for convenience sake. Um, and so I, I think you're onto something there, Joe. Of you know saying like let's do what we can to operate within these parameters. Uh, Will, did you have something before we move on to the the big one? All right, Joe, get us started. All right, all right. So the question that came in
1: is basically, what are we to do? And I'm, I'm actually trying to find this specific question here. Um, what are we to do about head coverings? Should a woman wear a head covering? Um, I have studied and studied. My wife has been studying this for a little longer than I have. Um, and actually, the woman that submitted the question, my wife has been studying with, I think, on this as well. And so they are colluding against me, I think, in asking this question. But um, should a woman wear head coverings? And, fellas, I don't know. Do you want me to just read? It's a fairly long passage. I don't know just to give people context, but it is 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through, I think, 18, 16. Should I read that here, or should I just kind of go off? I feel like that's a little... I would long. encourage... So, just um, for the
0: sake of it, we can hit the high, high yeah, points. I would okay, the I, listener, if yeah, I'd encourage yeah, the listener... listen fami- to the Bible. If you're not open.
2: familiar with it, go ahead and pause the podcast now and go read it. But, yeah, because Joe's going to be
1: getting a lot of the stuff, obviously, from there. There you go. So, this is the main the main passage that you're going to get this from, and I mean, the main idea is he's going to establish structure. He's going to establish hierarchy right at the very beginning, right? Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of the woman. God is the head of Christ, which is an interesting, fascinating discussion all on its own about Christ submitting himself to this day. Um, Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. he talks about the man and the interesting thing about this is we're going to have to cover the spectrum. There's people that are going, what in the world? What do you talk about head coverings? And there are people that are already wearing head coverings and the gamut in between some that are studying it. So we're going to try to touch on, on each part here. If you have never heard of the head covering, it's just not discussed in the church. If you've never heard of this, the main tenet is, you know, we follow to this day that a man should not wear a hat while praying. Does any man wear a hat while praying? No, he disgraces his head. We believe in that so when Paul says a woman is to wear a head covering and praying and prophesying, when there's when there's information coming down, when a prayer is being said, and a woman is to do that, um, we kind of throw that one out the window. We don't throw the guy one out the window, but we throw the girl one out the window. And we say, well, no, that's just because it's always been that way. No, a priest had a turban on his head. A priest had a hat on his head. Certainly culturally, if you're going to take that approach, culturally guys, pagan priests, prayed with, with hats and, and things on their head, um, head coverings. So this was a fairly new teaching. Matter of fact, this was a brand new teaching. I don't think we see this anywhere else in scripture where a man is, is to actually cover his head. We see Moses wearing it. So we see men wearing those things. Here he's saying, why? For the purpose of headship. To show that the man is head over the wife. He's not to wear it. As a matter of fact, it says he disgraces his head. And in studying for this, interestingly, talking about in verse four, while praying, prophesying, disgraces his head. There are discussions on. Okay, is he disgracing his physical head, his cabeza, you know, his his physical head, or is he disgracing the head over him? Sorry, a little Spanish in there. That I was going to say that's show. that's not
0: the Greek. I know that much. <laughs> yeah, no, no,
1: no, a little Spanish. That's that's from a TV show. Sorry, um, nobody will get that reference. But anyway, um, I certainly didn't. If yeah, I I don't think either of you guys watch that one. Anyway, it went
0: over my cabeza. Oh my oh,
1: goodness, you idiot. <laughs> So what head is he talking about here? Is he talking about his physical head or, and and the things that I was reading made a case that he's talking about, he disgraces the head over him, which would be Christ. He's actually disgracing Christ because Christ has given man rule and authority, dominion, going back to the dominion mandate of Genesis 1, and it, it disgraces that by wearing the head covering and by showing submission when man is the pinnacle of God's creation. So when a woman is to wear a head covering, it is to show submission to her head, which is man, which is the husband. So then you say, is it just for, this is just for married women, right? It's talking about husbands and wives. The problem is in the Greek, the Greek words for husband and wife are the Greek words for man and woman. That's why we say when at, at, you know, certain weddings, man and wife will say, that's kind of weird. Why would they say man and wife? Well, it's old, going back way, way far a long time ago, you know, horrible way to say. It's historical to say, A man slash husband is the same word, wife slash. So is he talking just to married women? I don't think so. I think he's talking to all women in general, that they are to show submission to man in general. It's a submission thing. So should they cover their head? To me, you know, let me also, sorry guys, I'm going to have to turn. There's such a broad thing. I'm telling you, I read and read and read and read. There's so much to cover here. Let Let me say the central thing that most people say. They will run to, this is cultural. This was a First Corinthians thing. You have to understand the culture. Women were the prostitutes, shaved their heads. Um, and so, you know, this This is mainly about the Corinthian culture at the time. Here's my problems with that. He appeals to Christ over the man and, and God over Christ. He appeals to Adam and Eve, going back to the beginning. He appeals to nature. Uh, are any of those things cultural? No. They're historical. They're spiritual. They are, they're, you know, nature. Similar to the to First that. Timothy thing about to.
2: women speaking.
1: Right. Correct. I mean, it is not a, a cultural thing that this take place in First Corinthians 14, verse seventy two. that's Ephesus, that's Corinth. These things are broad speaking. We also know from an early church perspective, this was taught in the early churches, that women were to do this. And matter of fact, I read some things, and I don't know if this can be backed up, I read some things that up until basically the early 1800s, mid 1800s, that's really when the feminist movement started gaining ground. Most people don't know that. They think flower power 1960s maybe the 1910s 1920s with women's suffrage um it was going back probably a solid 60 70 years before that of this starting that's really when women stopped wearing legitimate head coverings is what i read historically that this was this was not taken as as controversial at all it's like this is what we do um they clearly got it tertullian writes in AD 200 that the women in corinth are still doing it to this day he's appealing the women in north africa i think he was in Carthage, I want to say, um, that they were to wear those. So early church fathers wise, there's a few early church fathers discussing this. So from a historical perspective, this is not a cultural thing. Those guys were writing in multiple different places saying, this is what was supposed to happen. Um, I I think the cultural argument throwing it out on that grounds is garbage. Then you can go to the hair and some people will say, well, the hair is the covering. That's the point that he's making. Um, and so I think, yeah, verse uh, fourteen, fifteen. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering? They say, well, there you go, boom. The hair is the head covering. The problem is, those are two different Greek words. That covering there is not the same word as covering for the rest, which is katakalupto. Uh, this is where we run into some interesting things. I don't think the hair is is the covering because a man can't help it's not just long hair at what point is is hair long and if it's hair covering if that's the covering then every man who has hair including all three of us are disgracing our heads we all need to be bald or you say well long hair okay is it shoulder length is it longer that can't be it that that's well, this covering six also the says
0: for if a woman does not cover her head let her also have her hair cut off and so it's very clearly talking about two different things
1: there you go so let me briefly discuss and I'm going to throw it to you guys the Greek words here. Here's what it doesn't mean, in my opinion. It doesn't, and Tertullian also, you can research this. He also had a problem with women back then, AD 200, wearing little doilies on their head. Um, wearing little bandanas saying that's a head covering. If you're going to be a stickler about it, let's be a stickler about it. The Greek is katakalupto. It's the same root word as you, what you're going to see in 2 Corinthians 3.13 when he's talking about Moses covering his head with a veil because of the glory of God when he sees that. So Moses wore a little doily because he saw God's back and and it was so, you know, his face was shining and so he put a little bandana on. No, no, no. It was a full head covering and veil and that's the word he's using here. So this is where it gets sticky. Do you know of any woman that is wearing, willing to wear a veil outside of Islam? Um, Should they? This is the question that that we need to dig into here because now recently heard, of, of, you know, someone that doesn't want to cause a disturbance in the church, doesn't want to cause issues amongst the church and and cause that division, um, which actually says the contentiousness in verse 16. And so they say, I'm not going to wear it, even though I know that it's probably what I should, but it would freak people out too much. Therefore, um, I'm not going to wear it. I can appreciate where they're coming from, but I think if we're going to dig into actually abiding by the Greek, it would have to be a veil. Fellas, that's a basic understanding. I didn't even really give my position on it, but I want to throw it out to you guys. Well, well, you can't throw it to us without giving your position. Come on now. (laughs) In studying it, I used to say if it's a symbol of authority and if it's going to look exactly like Islam, people aren't going to get the point. You're just going to look Islamic. You're going to look like somebody else, you know, like you're going to look, it's not going to accomplish what it did. Now, some people say, well, the wedding ring accomplishes the same thing. That's garbage. Uh, no, it doesn't. This is clearly a symbol of authority where people walk into the church and go, oh, there it is. And I think, Jack, you made the point off air about the little doilies. Nobody's walking into the church going, oh, that's a woman under submission. You walk into somebody who's wearing a veil, a full head cover. Yeah, that's that's a woman under submission. I think that's the point he's going for here. So, yeah, it, it I need to study a little more. Um, I think we're, I'm still open to interpretation, open to study. But as I'm looking at it right now, it very much seems like it's not a cultural thing. It is something that should be done seemingly, but again, I'm open to, to study. So would your characterization be? Because
2: what it communicated back then would no longer be what is communicated today. You're talking the veil. Again, if your wife walks, you know wears a full head covering with the veil, on Sunday morning, a visitor's not going to go, oh, well, I definitely know what that's for. So is your argument, because people aren't going to know what that is, that it is not quite as necessary
1: as it uh, as it used to be? Used to be, but used to be my thought. But the more I read, the more it's like that wasn't super common back in the day then either. Women wearing these head coverings all around. Matter of fact, early church, anytime they stepped out of the home, they put this on. I don't think Paul's calling for that here. I'm not calling for that. He's talking about a, an assembling of the church together, not going out to Walmart. Um, clearly, Paul's not talking about Walmart. He was more of a Target guy. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, but it's that's what the early church took it as, is to show a symbol of authority or symbol of submission everywhere, even though that wasn't culturally like the, the Grecian or the Roman women weren't doing that. So for me to say, well, it doesn't mean what it used to mean back then. I don't think it meant what it used to mean back then either. Like people, it was it was standing out. It was different, noticeably different. Um, I think that's one of the main points. So I have two questions, and Joe,
2: specifically since you were the one that uh, took on the workload of this as far as studying for it. You briefly hit on it verse 15. If a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her as a covering. And I think you you mentioned the fact that it's not the same Greek word. If it's basically my question for that is, so what is he talking about then? If he's not talking about the head covering specifically being given, what is it, what is he talking about? What is it? What is the covering it's given to her for? That's question one. Question two is in the next verse, verse sixteen. If anyone seems to be in his, we have no such custom. Again, if that's what, what is your interpretation of that, and how does that play
1: into this discussion? So. The covering, my interpretation of it, um, in talking about for Harris, given her as a covering is to initially separate the man from the woman that a man would know. You would know a man and you would know a woman clearly. And it is a woman to a woman's glory to show that she is a woman. So those with men's haircuts, which is more of a, a common thing today that have men's haircuts. Um, you know, the women that buzz their heads, type of thing. And, and you can't tell the distinction that actually goes against their glory because part of the glory that a woman has is to be distinct from man, is to be the help meet of man. Um, so that's more my interpretation of that verse is it was given to help show distinction between man and woman, between the genders or the, the sexes. Um, and so it's given for that reason. Different covering, it's that's not so much a submission thing as, as much as a distinction thing. That's my Understanding, but then also verse 16, if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. I read a few interesting things on this. One of the takes, and I don't know where I fall on this fully. One of the takes is that the, first off in digging into the Greek, because I looked at the Greek, um, as a matter of fact, I think I saw the interlinear pulled up. The way that the interlinear reads on this specific verse, but if anyone thinks contentious to be, we such custom have not, nor the assemblies of God. It's it's, Greek is not written the way we... Yeah, exactly. Uh, Greek is not written the the way that it is in English. This is why there's different translations, is it's not a word-to-word. But he says, if anyone thinks contentious, or if anyone's going to be contentious, we don't have that custom, nor the assemblies of God. So it seems to be we don't... One of the things I read is the custom was to wear head coverings. The custom was for women basically to to wear head coverings that was the custom back then um in the churches that the assemblies of god had this custom some people are going to say the exact opposite the we would rather them not wear head coverings than to be contentious and cause problems and so why wear it at all the flip side of it is no the the custom was to wear head coverings in the churches don't be contentious by not wearing head coverings or by using your hair as a covering um I don't fully know where I fall on this. I think that one seems to be a bit of a stretch, but I have more study to do on that one. Um, the idea of, I think the whole thing is we're not inclined, or we shouldn't be contentious about this because there is a clear headship and structure and hierarchy to be taken place. And when you usurp that or when you don't wear it or whatever else, that goes against the hierarchy of God, that goes against the the assembly of God, Um the churches of God, that there is a hierarchy established of God over Christ, Christ over the church, uh, or Christ over man, man over the woman. So don't be contentious by messing that up. Basic understanding. I, I, again, that one's tough. And I did study all of this. There's just a lot there, a lot of different interpretations. I don't know that I fully come down on one side specifically for that verse.
0: All right. Time to cross examine. Um, so very clearly it's, a thing that's needed because it would seem as if she is claiming authority. And this is to say, no, 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 I'm not claiming authority. And that goes back to the point here that's driven is while praying or prophesying. And how you interpret that is, is very big in all this. I was reading something where you're saying, well, you know, that's anytime the church prays. It's, it's not. Because if you parallel it with 1 Timothy 2, I want the men in every place to pray. The praying is not hearing a prayer. It's doing, praying, and prophesying very clearly. If somebody prophesies, it's not that they're hearing somebody else prophesy, because he gets into all that in chapters twelve through fourteen, the gifts and all that. Uh, and so this is, and we know that women had spiritual gifts. We know Philip's daughters in Acts twenty or twenty-one, four of them, four prophet sure. daughters. You know, you had uh, women prophets really throughout the Bible. But what you notice with, at no point to any of them, even in the Old Testament get up in front of the assembly kind of thing. You know, the, some people reference Huldah. There's like a few verses on her and like out of the entire Old Testament. Somebody goes, see, that's that's why we can have women preachers because Hulda." no. What happens right. is she is at home and they go to her and ask, hey, what do we do about this? And so she speaks from there. And so women were occasionally... Gifted with the gift of prophecy, as they were in the early church, as as Joel too prophesied that they would be, is that you know your sons and your daughters that that this is going to be universal. These spiritual gifts are not just going to be to men and not just to Levites, but you know so it's a broad thing. And so I would not say it's cultural. I would say it's situational in that we don't have those gifts anymore. We don't have women leading in this way. Because the other thing about this is this goes back into our last discussion. It's very clear women are talking, but then you go to 1 Corinthians 14 that says women are to keep silent in the church. And so I don't believe this is speaking about a, a worship assembly because there's another reason to believe that as well. Notice in verse uh, 18, and Paul in the Corinthian letters does this. He goes from one thing to the next to the next to the next to address the problems they're having, things they've asked him about. You know, he says now concerning this or what about this? Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And that's when he goes into the Lord's Supper thing, waiting on each other and all that. But he says, you know, in the first place, when you come together as a church, well, you don't talk about them doing something together as a church for 16 verses and then say, and first of all, and so that tells me that the head covering discussion is not about the worship assembly. It's not about the gathering on Sunday because he transitions to that in verse 18. And the other reason I know he's not talking about that is he's talking about women actively praying and prophesying, which he later forbids them to do. And so to me, this is a very specific instance in which women had these gifts and were able to prophesy and it like it was an important thing that God gave them. But when they were going to utilize that gift, they needed to make it clear. I'm not trying to be the preacher. I'm not trying to to start my own thing here. I'm not trying to lead. I'm I'm making it very clear I'm not above my husband because that's one of the other things we deal with today with egalitarianism is how is a woman under her husband if she's the preacher and he's in the pew, right? Like that's it doesn't work that way. She's over him as a spiritual leader. Well, a prophecy and he's praying in the spirit these these tongues, the things that he's about to get into are very clearly God gave these women a gift to say certain things, but when they say it, it needs to be made clear, hey, I'm not trying to usurp my husband here. I'm not trying to claim I'm the spiritual leader here. I'm simply a channel for this thing that God has given me to say, and by the way, I'm not allowed to do that on Sunday when the church is gathered. This is a specific gift that I was given, and I'm putting it to use, but hey, don't anybody get the idea I'm doing something different with this. I My interpretation of this whole thing because of that is that this was situational, and when those gifts went away, we don't have women praying and prophesying in those ways. We don't have women leading prayers in front of men or speaking in these ways. And so I, I think, but we do it have seventeen hundred. We do have seventeen hundred years of history of women wearing it in the church. Uh, that's a little broad because the other thing, you know, there's this appeal to, oh, it's a universal principle. Okay, if it is, why did they not do it for four thousand years? It's not a universal principle, and so you know, some people have kept it, but. I don't. I wouldn't say that every Christian everywhere did it for seventeen hundred. But if we're
1: gonna ago. say we're if we're gonna say universal question, or if it's a univer, or not a universal thing, or this wasn't the way that it was. Yeah, it wasn't the way for man to uncover. Is it okay for a man to have a hat and to pray with his head covered?
0: Right, and that that is a, a fair are, challenge to it. That is the right, and that's what
1: I'm saying. Is it was in the Old Testament, they were perfectly fine to do so. This is a brand new teaching, and if it was just for that time, then are you comfortable with a man? Praying with his head covered now, because if you're not, you're taking that principle but see, forward. But, but see, not men the other ones. still
0: do lead prayer. Men still do have those situations in which they will. Uh, it's you know, Jack. It, your the point spiritual is that women, gift thing,
2: women don't anymore. The prophesying thing,
0: right? Because they they were allowed to speak in very limited places because of spiritual gifts. God gave them that spiritual gift, and so they needed to have a channel to let it out. But it wasn't on Sunday mornings with the gathered church, and it was very specific to a time. Now we still have men. Uh, pray. Now, prophesy, obviously there was a spiritual element to that, but men get up and preach, and you wouldn't have a man get up and preach with a hat on. I mean, I think there's some of that that carries. Now, the man listening to the prayer, taking his hat off, you know, that's where you get into, does that is that still part of this? Does that apply? It's a fair question, and I don't really know what to do with that part, but I don't think this is a universal thing because... Again, he's very much moving into this discussion of spiritual gifts that we don't have anymore, and it created a situation in which women could speak in ways that they don't have anymore. And I, I get that. Would you say a woman at a, let's say a woman, women's day,
1: a ladies' day, do you think a woman who gets up and speaks or prays at a lady's day should wear a head covering to show submission that she is under her husband's authority?
0: I I mean I could see the case for that more than anything. I think there's um, I think there's more of a case for that if, if we're taking your approach to it. Than yeah, there's more of else. a case it's for just... that than a woman wearing one just sitting there listening to somebody else pray, preach, teach, whatever else. Um, the spiritual gifts part of it still does make me wonder because where he talks about the the angels and stuff like that, it's it's one of those where you know like Peter later on says sometimes Paul is hard to understand. You're like, yeah, you don't say, yeah man, no joke, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah, come on, Paul, like, flesh this what out a problems? bit more, right? Because of the angels. Moving
1: on, like, well, what,
0: what does that mean?
1: Right, and I read multiple things on that as well. Of Well, it means that, you know, the angels are righteous men. Like, no, I don't think so. Well, it means the, you know, the fallen angels going back to the Nephilim of Genesis 4. Like, whoa, okay, maybe. Uh, that seems a little bit out there. So there's that they would lust after women, and so it's a way for women not to lust. Tertullian kind of takes that view of this is for women not to lust. Um, I'm not, that he's not... He's an early church father. He's not inspired, um, so I'm not saying that he is on all of these things. It is an interesting, and, and I wish Paul had made mention more um, of this. The other piece of it that people will say is historical just to bring it in is in First Timothy 2. They're talking about you know braiding the hair and the weaves that go way high, and so clearly women did not have their hair covered in Ephesus, and so they're saying this is a problem in Corinth. I think there's some validity to that as well. I just struggle with, again, him talking about broader things like angels like um
0: nature like the adam and eve and christ and and you know over man so this goes back to my thing of it it would have to be a situation in which somebody would say boy is she uh is she trying to take her husband's authority and when you have on a sunday morning all the women submissively listening to the sermon submissively bowing their head in prayer not leading the prayers or whatever else nobody's going to say hmm she might be trying to take authority here. Like, I could see it, that. it's very clearly, and, and that's where your Ladies' Day question is a bit of a challenge to this whole thing. I mean, like, it might be the, might be the proper application of it in this day and age. Um, I don't know. Um, I, like, I think that's a fair corollary to the point that I'm making, but I do think that is the general spirit of this passage is toward uh, something that does not apply. Well, as I said... If this applies to every worship assembly, why are women praying and... Essentially, Paul contradicted himself. And that's what the egalitarians say. That 1434 can't actually mean women keep silent in the church because he just said they pray and prophesy. Well, if we're going to be consistent on the non-egalitarian women aren't allowed to preach thing, we have to take this passage as not being there because they're clearly praying and prophesying when later he told them to be silent, so you know, like you've got to pick one. You can't ride the fence on this because riding the fence opens the door for the egalitarian interpretation. So
1: the praying and prophesying, you're saying, just to clarify, you're saying is outside of a worship assembly. They happen to be like in the home or something, or they happen to be out, like when would they be praying prophesying? Because in the home, it doesn't seem like this is in the context of wearing a head covering in the home when they're praying and prophesying. It does seem to be in the context of in assembly, but I agree with you, go back three chapters, or go forward three chapters, and it seems that that's not the case that you're not allowed to so where exactly is this taking place I don't think it's at home because they're clearly under the authority of their husband they don't need to prove it to anybody in that situation it's clearly if it's not in the church because they're to remain silent where is this taking place that's why if you say the praying and prophesying is and I see your point that it's an active thing which yeah and, and in I was looking up the Greek to make sure that it, we were right on that and Yes, it's a, it's a participle, participle, an active participle. Interestingly, the praying is a middle passive, but I won't get into that. Um, but this is why I think people look at it and say, this is when other people are praying and prophesying because we know women can't in the assembly. Therefore, it must be when somebody else is doing it. If he's going to call them to silence later, where exactly are they praying and
0: prophesying? Out in the streets? On the street corner? I, it just—it's not the way language works to say listening to a prophecy is prophesying, and especially I when agree. he gets to spiritual gifts, which we knew women had. Again, right. we know that they had these gifts. We—you know—I brought up Acts uh, twenty, it's verse uh, nine that Philip has four virgin daughters who are prophetesses. So we know that we know they're not allowed to use that in the gathered assembly of the church on Sundays, right? And so there has to be a venue in which they can give these prophecies. And you look in the Book of Acts, prophecies are made not on Sunday, you've got, like, was it the Agabus thing? You've got, you know, Timothy had prophecies that were made about him. That doesn't necessarily mean on Sunday morning, you know, during the sermon, like, that that you see these prophecies coming out, and and in kind of an Old Testament sense, a prophet's giving a message that they receive from God. I mean, this is one of those, like, because we don't worship the way they did, because we don't have Sundays the way they do, it's very, very hard to make one-for-ones. And I would say,
1: spiritual gift-wise... Absolutely, there's prophecy there, you know, if we're talking a spiritual gift, which it can be proclaiming a divine revelation or it can just be proclaiming the word of God. I think that's what you get in Romans 12, and that some have the gift of prophecy and the other like seven listed there aren't spiritual gifts. And I think he's more referring to those prophets or somebody who just proclaims the word of God. So then if we're going to talk about that, if we're using one as a a spiritual gift, the prophesying is a spiritual gift, praying is not a spiritual gift. So he would be saying, one is and one's not. If you take prophesying as not a spiritual gift, but as proclaiming the word of God, Romans 12 style, then, and I realize it's going outside the book, but it's still within Paul, Pauline writings, then you would say that it is a proclamation, anytime they go to proclaim the word of God or any time they go to to pray, which takes us back to Bible class.
0: Can women no do those things with a with a problem head covering with, this on. is the problem with you leaving the book is he's in the middle like in verse or chapter 13 right it's all about spiritual and, gifts in chapter 14 uh desire that you may especially may prophesy that it's not just about preaching so is prayer uh, a spiritual gift and, and that's the question is is he talking about praying in tongues is he, like what what is the specific prayer that we're talking about there I don't think it's generic prayer that we're talking about just because of the context of, of everything going on here. I can't prove that, but it is in a context of spiritual gifts quite a bit.
1: I agree. I agree. But, man, it just seems difficult because I I look at it. A man is supposed to—the prayer still takes place. It's not a spiritual gift praying today. A man is supposed to pray. And a man is supposed to get up and give instruction. It's not prophecy from divine revelation, but man is still doing that to this day while uncovered on the head, even though the priests, if we're gonna go, if we're really gonna go wild here, we could say, well, the priests used to have turbans, the high priests or what whatnot, or the priests used to on their head. We are the priesthood of God jumping on over to Peter. Like, we could go crazy if we're gonna say that. And therefore, maybe we should be wearing something on our head. And he's clearly saying that's not the case, and that's continued two thousand years. This has not, though most of the early church understood it to continue. So that's I see where you're coming from. I think it's a legitimate case to say this is specifically in the realm of spiritual gifts now that those are done away with. I do struggle with the historical side and the fact that he's appealing to things that aren't necessarily having to do with spiritual gifts. You two um, have you two have laid it laid it out so incredibly well and, and as somebody who does not
2: have I have not come down necessarily on either side uh, because I haven't studied near as much as as you two have. Um, I think you, you laid out the two sides of it very well. The question that I, that I have, and I'm not sure what the plan is, if we're going to continue with the questions or if we're going to kind of let this be the wrap. You, we've we've made the argument or Joe, I think you made the argument before about the better to be safe than sorry thing. Does that apply here? And uh, Joe, I guess I'll let you go first since you, since you kind of were the leader of this question. Can an argument? Because I've heard that argument be made that well, I'm really not sure, but honestly, to be rather to be safe than sorry, I'm gonna go ahead and do. But the problem is they always do the little bandana thing. But it, I guess, does that argument have any credence? What, what would you say to to somebody who makes the the safe rather be safe than sorry argument?
1: I mean, I'm I lean more toward that. The problem you run into is the better safe than sorry is really drastic. If you're gonna do it right. If you're gonna do it it's according be to the degree and according right. to, it's got to be the veil. The same way that Moses had the veil after after seeing God or the back of God, um, with the same root word there. So, it's it's easy to be yeah, better safe than sorry. That's a really easy approach when you're putting a bandana on. That's a really difficult approach when you're putting a full veil or even a Catholic, you know, all the way down the back, even if you're not gonna cover the face. Um, then you say, well, what's the head? to find the head. Is the head a, you know, just from forehead to the crown of the head, kind of the back? And if you cover that, then are you fine? Or do you have to cover all of the hair? Once again, not to keep appealing to this guy, he just wrote on it the most. Tertullian believed it was all the way down to the shoulders. Um, so yeah, I, I agree that there could be some better safe than sorry, but if you're going to do it right, then the safe doesn't appear very safe that could potentially lead to contentions and divisions in the church because people just are that way. And they would feel judged if somebody started wearing a full veil and they weren't, um, or they feel that we have Muslims worshiping in our midst. And that might be, so yeah, you've got some some things to wrestle with if you're gonna
0: take the safe, better safe than sorry approach. Jack, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, no, um, I've made my case for why I, I don't think it's applicable today. I'm not a hundred percent with that case. And so, I mean like better safe than sorry would mean go ahead and do it. But like you said, that comes with a cost of its own. And so I, I, I don't know. So now that um, we've
2: thoroughly confused our listeners, <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, that exactly. each be convinced in his own mind, uh, yeah. to a degree on this, uh, you know, again, the teaching of your church, as I've said before, we are not elders, uh, over any of the listeners. And so we're not elders over anybody, but, um, you know, that, I think there is there is a degree to which that uh, is part of it. Now,
1: let me ask this question real
0: fast. Yeah.
1: Just throw it in. Husband oh, comes boy. to a different conclusion than the wife. Husband says, no, I don't see it. The wife says, absolutely, I see it. On the one hand, it's a conscience issue, James 4.17. On the other hand, the whole point of this is headship. And so are you to accept his headship in, in the understanding of, no, I don't need to, because he is the one, as your head, saying... I don't believe that that's showing headship or I don't think that's
0: necessary. What are your thoughts on that? And I, she, I have my thought, but if she thinks she needs to do it, she needs to do it and he can uh, be okay with thought. it. If he thinks she needs to do it and she doesn't, I think she needs to do it. Okay. I mean, uh, on the submission okay. angle is that as well. If, if his I decision agree. is for this household, this is what we think the Bible you know, is, is teaching us to do. You signed up to follow the lead. You need to do it. All right. Uh, I think we can rapid-fire these last few because they're not head coverings. I know, oh, no. Um, because the problem <laughs> oh, no. is it's either we're going to leave a 20-minute episode or— going yeah, point. We'll just so, get through it. All right. Because, uh, I mean, this is pretty easy to answer. What is the purpose of fasting in the New Testament, and should Christians be doing it? Joe?
1: Yes, they should be doing it. It is specifically for prayer. It can be things like sex, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 7. Obviously, it could be things like— um, uh, food you see in matthew 6 jesus is saying while you are fasting there is no if you fast but while you're fast it's expected that the people of god will fast that goes way back in the old testament we he also says when i you
0: know they're not fasting because i'm here when i leave they're gonna fast
1: right right yeah exactly so i it i don't know why we where that went why we uh don't do that i think i'm and i was showing jack this the other day this is a rapid fire but um There's a lot of things we don't do in the, you know, the the laying on of hands, the lifting holy hands, the anointing with oil, the fasting, all of that is tied into prayer. And I think, you know, if you're looking around going, why aren't our prayers supercharged like they were back then? Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's a lot of things that we were supposed to do physically that we now go, well, that's all spiritual. We don't need to do it. We don't. Maybe we should be looking to do those things because all of those were intended to to maximize the purpose of prayer and to get right. And so a fast could be from video games, it could be from all sorts of stuff. If, yes, if, we're, we if you're
2: looking it. for a longer deep dive, we actually did hit on fasting for about 10 to 15 minutes in the, Good point. In the podcast episode we did, I think back in June, six biblical com, uh, commands that Christians forget. Uh, so if you're wanting a, a longer deep dive, just check that episode out.
0: All right. How do we differentiate between the literal and figurative meanings in the Bible? That's hard because there's not going to be 100% answer that just makes it this one's literal, this one's figurative. Start with genre, figure out what you're reading. The Psalms, it's poetic, there's going to be poetic license, there's going to be some exaggeration, there's going to be some, you know, of that kind of stuff, the, you know, Revelation and Ezekiel and Daniel have some of the apocalyptic, you know, veiled reference thing. But one of the things, I'm a big uh, fan of Peter Lighthart and James Jordan's way of reading the Bible, which is briefly, he, you guys have seen Shrek. I think like two billion people have seen Shrek. So he uses, Lightheart talks about how if you took somebody who had no cultural connection to the West and showed them Shrek, they wouldn't think it's funny at all. Because mm-hmm. it's nothing but references. It's just reference, reference, right? Hey, remember this? Remember that? Remember that? And you, you're just putting those together, and it's funny. He said, that's how the Bible works. It's self-referential all the way across. So the more you know, the more you understand. So in Revelation, where he talks about the stars falling, that's pointing all the way back to creation the stars ruling you know and these governing bodies that there's that helps you interpret that and so when you see things like that we want to interpret revelation through modern eyes think what's going on in the news that parallels with revelation no start reading the old testament if you want to read revelation and so you know when the bible presents itself as literal narrative king david's life moses in the exodus jesus in the gospels read that as as narrative but also look for meaning in the narrative because there's a lot in there When it is a little more figurative, you know, uh, when it's very clearly using pretty exaggerated pictures, look at it that way. Um, If you're not sure, take a deep look at it. See where it's referencing elsewhere in the Bible.
1: I think that's great. And I would say, look up, and yeah, this is going outside. Here's my, you know, my disclaimer but the Peter Lightheart stuff is fascinating. The Jim Jordan, Jack, you just showed a podcast of him kind of walking through Jonah a little bit. But he talks about the olive oil and, and the olive branches and how much olive branch, olive oil, Mount of olives. That's throughout the scriptures, and there's a specific reason for it. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. So just keep an open mind specifically toward the self-referential side of, of scripture, I think. it's It's a fascinating
0: study, but that's a good answer. All right, Will, why have churches of Christ minimized a balanced teaching and understanding of grace?
2: So my answer would be because in many cases we've seen the dangers of Romans 6 verse 1 kind of played out. You know, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We've seen people who basically rely so heavily on grace that they're kind of like, well, I can do whatever I want, right? Because I'm covered by grace. Unfortunately, we've swung the pendulum way too far in the other direction to where we basically don't teach on grace anymore. The other answer that I would give as far as why have churches of Christ minimized it is because we've seen the denominational world basically kind of water down their doctrine to be basically just a doctrine of grace. And because we want to make sure that we are not siding with denominations and lining up with them, again, we swung the pendulum so far in the other direction to where we barely teach grace. Um, this again, briefly, such a fine line that has to be taught with this when we're talking about grace. But, One of my favorite passages is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, where Paul makes it very clear. It is by grace that you've been saved. Nothing that you did, not of works, you can't boast, but it's that grace, the gift of God, that propels us to what? That propels us to live a life fueled by good works, right? The good works, or we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we are created that way because of grace, because of the grace that we've been given. And so... It's grace that propels us to live a life that's led by the Spirit, filled with those good works, a life that's not weighed down by sin. That's a 15-second you know, spurt about it. But, again, why have Churches of Christ minimized it is the question. I think because we've seen the pendulum go too far in the, well, let's just do whatever we want because we're covered by grace direction, that we've swung it, in my opinion, too far in the other direction. We live lives led by the Spirit because of grace.
0: I'm going to say briefly, it's a bit of a loaded question because the Churches of Christ have two very strongly opposed wings you've got uh, a side that sees the all grace like you know overly doing it people like you're talking about will that are rushing hard away from that and not giving enough grace and at the same time you've got the other people seeing these other people not giving enough grace and they're giving too much grace and so uh we had a my other podcast Who let the dogma out we did an episode on liberalism legalism and the two ditches a lot bigger discussion about that there so i would uh, recommend that um uh, anything else Run. on that one run toward and not away that's the
1: biggest thing we're running away from the other side and you run toward you swing the pendulum because it's you're not running toward anything and if you're running toward it you get off the pendulum altogether and you run toward what does god want here and there he wants good works to your point will but he he also emphasizes grace you're able to see it more clearly when you're not running from somebody else we're, we're not Calvinist. okay don't tell me what you're not tell me what you
0: are that's yeah. my yeah all right if someone is unwilling to repent is a christian required to forgive him uh, there's two schools of thought on this because there's, well, we're, we're supposed to forgive, forgive 70 times 7, but then the other side, well, we're not just supposed to make it okay and let somebody think it's fine to sin and, and continue on in it. And I've explained this before. I, my really simple illustration is you're across the table from somebody who maybe has sinned and done something wrong against you. You hold a piece of paper in your hand that says forgiveness. You are not to withhold that thing and demand they meet certain circumstances before you relinquish it. But you're also not supposed to walk around and put it in their pocket and say you're forgiven. Don't worry about it. You put it on the table. You have extended forgiveness. They still have to reach out and grab it. They still have to repent. They still have to say, you know, it was wrong to do that. You can't just tell them, hey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Because if they're wrong before God, they need to know that. And that's you know, Jesus talks about. If your brother has something against you, if you've done something against your brother, make those things right. Extend forgiveness. Don't hold it. The, don't hold the grudge. Don't keep it to yourself but also don't force it on the person and just blanket statements say it's the okay. problem that
2: i see with that one real quick because i agree that's a great illustration is that there are christians that will basically kind of give the attitude that well i they've got to come begging on their knees right and, and you're sitting up on top of this throne and they got to come crawling up to you to, to for you to forgive them that's not the way that it's depicted at all in scripture you are supposed to be the one that extends that forgiveness now whether or not you know, again, like you said, you can't put it in their pocket, but it is your responsibility to make it available to them to extend that. And if you're sitting there holding it back saying, nope, they got to come to me first before I do any of that kind of holding a grudge. You probably got a heart problem. That would be my short answer to that.
1: Yeah, I would say if if they're, you know, we certainly can't hold a grudge. I am of the belief that God doesn't forgive us if we're not asking for forgiveness, if we're not repenting. Um, you know, God is a God of forgiveness. Yeah, but that works two ways. Like, it, we have to fulfill our part of it to be forgiven, which is the reaching out and taking it. And I believe that somebody apologizing, repenting, forgive him 70 times seven. Yes, that's assuming he's coming to you asking for forgiveness 70 times seven. If he's not, well, I forgive him, and, and no, he's still a horrible person, but I forgive him. No, they do need to make the effort to come to you and say, brother, I wronged you, and that's and I'm sorry, that's not right. Do you need to forgive him until then? You have to have a heart of I'm willing to forgive him, but he hasn't accepted. He hasn't reached out to to take my forgiveness. So it's not that I hold a grudge. I don't hate him, but I don't. Yeah, I, that's that's one of the problems I have with the illustration. Is when you pass it out, what does that look like? I'm willing to forgive him, but I'm not going to blanket forgive him. That's you putting it in the pocket. I'm not going to blanket forgive him. So the illustration works. Is what you're it.
0: saying. <laughs> but but I'm saying, well, to to you're Will's putting point, it out I'd there is I, I am uh, the minute he comes to me, I'm ready. That's it. Sure. It, it, it has been extended, but it hasn't been forced on him. Um, and that's all I'm saying with that. All right, we've got two left. Um, Paul seems, this one is, uh, we assigned to Joe. Paul seems to say that everyone who is a Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. First Corinthians 6, Romans 8. It also seems that he sees baptism as the time when we receive the Spirit. Uh, a couple, you know, First Corinthians 12, 13, Titus 3, 5, and 6. This seems to fit with what Jesus said about needing to be born of the water and Spirit in John 3. And Peter's statement that those who repent and be baptized will receive the gift of the Spirit, Acts 2. All of that context to say, why then is that, uh, uh, I can't read, why then is it that those in Samaria did not receive the Holy Spirit when they were baptized in the name of Jesus? Acts 8 details how the gospel went to Samaria, people were baptized, and then Peter and John were sent by the apostles to um, bring the Spirit to these people. So, a very interesting question, Joe.
1: Yes, it is. A couple different answers. I'm going to throw it to you for what I think is the ultimate answer, what I think is correct. But I should say more correct. I do think that Luke goes back and forth quite a bit in Acts to the miraculous and to the the physical indwelling that we get. I think there are two separate spirits, quote unquote, not real. I mean it's the same spirit, but in terms of one's able to do. And right after this in the uh, in in chapter eight, we have Simon the sorcerer who's asking for the spirit. Now, if it was just a physical indwelling, the the seal of our redemption, Ephesians one style, why would he be asking for it? No, he's talking about he wants to be able to do miracles. He wants to make money off of the miracles. It's in that context. So it seems that they're going to impart that Holy Spirit. However, you could easily make the case that no, they didn't have a Holy Spirit at all, including the indwelling. And Jack, go ahead and give your answer, because I think that that
0: sums it up quite a bit. I think it's a keys to the kingdom thing. Um, The apostles, especially Peter, opened the door to the Jewish people in Acts chapter 2 with their preaching. Uh, And you have the outline of Acts in Acts 1-8 to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. Here, the gospel goes to Samaria. They're not really... Full Jews, and so it's opening the door to a new group of people. The apostles have to be there for that. That was a privilege that they got. Um, then you move on to, uh, you know, uh, Cornelius in the next chapter, uh, the next couple of chapters of. Uh, the Gentiles being added. Well, Peter's the one that's sent to do that, and so and the Holy Spirit is you know given on them. And so after that, once those doors have been opened, which again is what keys do, is open doors. Then anybody who is baptized can receive the Holy Spirit. But I think it was left to the apostles to have the privilege of opening those doors. All right,
2: we are going to wrap right there. Uh, we want to thank each and every one of our listeners who submitted questions. Um, keep keep the questions coming. This was something that we really enjoyed. We we enjoyed reading the questions and. Uh, we enjoy putting the study in and answering the questions. There is no doubt we will do another one of these at some point. So if you've got a question, hey, before you forget, go ahead and send it to us. We'll put it in our file uh, for whenever we do another one of these Q&A episodes. Again, we we always appreciate the feedback. We, you know, This podcast is called Think Deeper, and we just really appreciate that our, the listeners are doing just that, are, are thinking deeply. Um, about scripture, about the way that God intends us to live our lives. And so, again, we, we relish these questions. We love questions like these, so keep them coming. Um, we hope everybody uh, has an awesome Christmas time together. We are going to drop an, an episode the day after Christmas. Um, it's not going to be something that's super deep or super controversial because we know everybody's going to be enjoying time with their families. But if you're wondering if we are going to release something, we are. That is the plan, uh, December 26th, the day after Christmas. So, till then, hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody. Guys, anything else before we uh, wrap up for today? Well, with that, we thank you for listening and join us next week for the next episode of Think Deeper.